0: Once again, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, all the verses that we're going to be looking at at today will be in your notes, so they'll come up on the jumbotrons or whatever. Now, if you don't have a Bible, um, and you'd like to have one right after our gathering's over with, we have a room right over here. Those doors will open. Another set of doors will open. It's a beautiful room in there. We call it the altar room. And the pastors of our church and the elders of our church, the spiritual leaders of our church are always in there, and they're uh, there to pray with you, whatever's going on in your life. But we also have a Bible that we'd love to put into your hands, a brand new Bible, and and it's yours to to keep, okay? It's without a doubt the the most important book ever written. In fact, this past week, uh, I spent some time thinking about all the different ways that People read read their Bibles. Maybe you never thought about this. Um, Some people are are traditional readers. Uh, You know, their grandparents read the Bible. Maybe they saw grandpa read the Bible, saw grandma read the Bible. Their parents read the Bible. And uh, and so, you know, grandpa read it, dad read it. I guess I'm I'm supposed to, to, to read it. Some people are, are superstitious readers. To these people, the Bible is like a, a religious lucky charm. It's like a, a, a lucky rabbit's foot, and they think that somehow it'll work magic in their lives if they just read it. And uh, these would be the people who, uh, you know, they never read the Bible, then something haywire goes in their life, and the next thing you know, they become Billy Graham. They're praying, reading the Bible, uh, haven't read it in a year, haven't read it in decades. But something crazy goes on in their life, and all of a sudden, you know, they become Charles Spurgeon because they think that somehow if I just read it, something, you know, magical might, might happen in my life. Some people are educational readers. These people read the Bible to simply gain knowledge so that they can seem smart at a Bible study or, or whatever. And I know a lot of people like that. That's why they read it. They just want to seem intelligent or whatever at some Bible study they're at. Some people are denominational readers. They read it so that they can better defend the articles of their denomination or their faith. That's the purpose behind reading it and knowing it, so they can defend the articles of whatever their denomination is or the articles of their faith or whatever. Some people are professional readers. They read the Bible because they uh, simply need material for a, a lesson that they're going to teach, or whatever. In other words, it doesn't really mean that much. It's, it might be their job, and so I've got to come up with some lesson. The words don't mean that much. Just I got to have something I, I, I have to say. And I'm sure that there are more than these, but this is a pretty good list. Now, now Peter gave us what I think might be the best reason to, to, to read the word, okay? He encourages us to be uh, what I'll call nutritional readers. Peter said this in chapter two. He said, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, by this pure spiritual milk, you may grow up in your salvation. Now, I want you to notice what Peter didn't say. Peter didn't say, uh, teach the word or preach the word. He didn't, he didn't say that. Now, those are both good things. In fact, the Bible tells us that we ought to preach the word or we ought to teach the word and all those things. But, but that's not what Peter says here. Peter didn't say read the word or study the word or memorize the word, which, again, those are all good things, and those are things that we as believers ought to do. We ought to read the word and we ought to memorize the word. We ought to meditate on the word, but that's not what Peter says in this passage we we ought to do. Peter didn't say search the word or or linger over the word. Once once again, good good things. I spent all week searching scriptures and doing all kinds of stuff. Those are good things. Peter said, crave the word. Desire the word so that by it you would grow up in your salvation. There's there's a a nutritional value to reading the the word, it's more than just, hey, I, I, I can sound smart at a Bible study. It's more than, hey, you know what, I I can defend what my denomination believes. It's more than just, well, I'm hoping that all my problems will be solved if I can just, you know, put my nose in it. It's more than just, well, you know, our our family, this is what we've done all these years, you know. We just read the Bible. We're, 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 We're a family of Bible readers, you know, or whatever the case may be. Peter says, crave the word and my desire for us this past week has been that like newborn babies crave their mother's milk we as a church family would, would crave God's word the same way I was thinking back to when my kids were young when they were babies and it could be early in the morning it didn't matter when it was but when one of my kids got hungry we wee wee. wee and I'd go down and, you know, every now and then. <laughs> My wife was there, she'd go, no, it wasn't even now and then, but she's not here tonight, so let me just embellish the story a little bit. Um, I'd go down and, you know, and it didn't matter what I did. This baby was craving mama's milk. And nothing was going to stop her from getting to that milk. Nothing. And isn't that a great imagery that Peter gives us? That we would be people who craved this. That you know what? You can can do anything you want, man, but I got to get to this. I got to crave this. This is the thing I got to have right here. This. Because there's there's nutritional value here, spiritually uh, speaking. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Anyway, so with all this said, let's jump into uh, today's message. Okay, there are two major points that I want to make. And uh, the first one is this. Number one, Jesus alone saved. First John chapter five and verse one says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, everyone who believes that that Jesus is the Messiah, everybody who believes that he's the savior, everybody who really believes that what we celebrate on December 25th is that the Savior has come. You really believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You really believe he was the, the, the Savior. You believe that he was the Christ. You've surrendered your life over to Jesus. They've become a child of God. Now, this obviously implies that if someone doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ, they, they don't believe in Jesus, that they aren't a child of God, right? Right? John says it's those who believe. And the idea there is they believe to the degree that they've surrendered their life over to Jesus. The Bible tells us that the demons believe, in fact they believe so much that they even shudder when they think about the name of Christ. I know a lot of believers who don't shudder at the name of Christ. But demons believe to the degree that whoa, so it's more than believing, it's this, it has this idea that you've surrendered your life over to, to, to him. You've recognized who he is in comparison to you. He's the king and we're but his subjects. We're his slaves, you see? John went on to say this in verse 11 of First uh, John chapter five and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The eternal life is in, is in Jesus. Whoever has the son has the life, has the eternal life. He who does not have the son, he who does not believe in the son does not have the light. I often say that, you know, um, God didn't write this book to trick anybody. It's a pretty simple thing to understand. Yes, God has raised up teachers and preachers that help maybe all of us understand a little bit more, but anybody can open this thing up and, and get it. You really can. I mean, you look at 1 John 5:11, and you pretty much, you know, if you've got a half a cell working in your brain, it, it makes sense. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Now, there's a lot of other great stuff in the Gospels and in in the the scriptures. First John chapter five, verse one, verses 11 and 12 kind of boil it it all all down. Once again, John is just crystal clear. It's only through a relationship with Jesus that one receives the gift of eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have the life because you become a child of God. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the life because you're not a child of God. You're created by God, everybody's created by God, but not everybody's a child of God. You become a child of God when you believe in Jesus, when you give your life to to Christ. John said this in the Gospel of John in chapter one, he said, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He, that's Jesus, came to his own people, and even his own people rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. They they are reborn, not not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but, but a birth that comes from God. See, all of us were born physically. All of us came out of our mama's wombs. We're all born physically, and that's not what makes you a child of God. That just makes you a human being who was made in the image of God. It's when you give your life over to Christ, it's when you surrender your life over to Jesus, that you're born again spiritually. And at that moment, you become a a child of, of, of God, When a person truly surrenders their life over to Jesus, Jesus gives that person the power and the right to become something that they aren't. That is a child of God. In other words, it's only through a relationship with God's son that you can become a child of God. John said this in 1 John chapter three, I'll take us back a week or so. He said, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. And he's talking to believers. He's talking to those of us that have given our life over to Christ. We've surrendered our life over to Christ. We've now become children of of God. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make things right between you and him. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way. And I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a pretty outrageous claim, isn't it? I mean, he, he's either he's either right or he's wrong. He he, he either is the only way, the truth, and the life. Nobody will ever get to the Father unless you come through him, or or, you know, he's just just a lunatic. Jesus doesn't, you know, say I'm one of many ways. Jesus doesn't say, you know, "I'm, I'm a pretty good way. He said, I'm it. Jesus said, there's no other way you're going to make it into heaven that you'll have this eternal life with the Father unless you come through me. There's no other way. Now, I know some people think that if they just do enough stuff, God's got this cosmic scale, you know, and here's all the bad things you've done in life, and, oh, here are all the good things you've done in life, and, oh, I was an Eagle Scout. I said a lie, and there's this, and someday you're going to stand before him, you know, and, oh bummer down the elevator or oh no yes i made it what a what a crummy what a crummy way to live not knowing the bible is, is you know teaching is crystal clear we're all sinful the scales are all this way that's the way it is you can't do enough. You, 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 all the good things that you do in life don't even move the scale. Just well, I did this good thing. I did this good thing. Pfft, nothing, not a thing. Like somehow, you know, could, could you imagine this moment? You get to heaven and you look at God and say, "God, you owe me," because I did a lot of good things. I mean, imagine that moment. You owe me. (laughs) Yeah, God owes you. He didn't owe you anything. Nothing. Not a thing. Beloved, according to Jesus, all roads don't lead to heaven. Only one does, and that's through him. And the reason he could make such an outrageous claim is because he was God in human form, which he proved when he walked out of the tomb three days after he had been crucified. Beloved, the Bible is crystal clear that Jesus alone is the only way of salvation. When, when you give your life over to Jesus, you become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, it comes with a, a lot of really great benefits. And one of those benefits is you get to go to heaven when you die. Now, I've created a little diagram for you, okay? And the first little thing is, is, is God the, 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 the Father, okay? You see that? There's God the Father, and, 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 and he's in heaven. And I want you to imagine heaven if you can. It's this perfect place this unbelievable place. And one of the distinctives about heaven is that there's no sin there, none, no sin in heaven. Now now I'll put us up there, or you up there, okay? Here we are down here on planet Earth and we're sinful. And I don't need to tell you that. You, you, some of you are here and you don't, you don't even know what that word means. It just means we're messed up, we're, we're, we're screwed up. We think things we shouldn't think. We say things we shouldn't say. We've all had guilty feelings. It's, it's the one truth that's universal. Nobody in this room would stand up and say, oh, I'm perfect. Nobody, nobody would do that. We all know that we've done crummy things. So we know we're sinful. The biblical word is we're sinful. And here's the bummer. If God were to let you into his heaven, it would be like Earth, because you're sinful. And then if you let me up there, and then you let the guy sitting next to you, the girl sitting next, now before you know it, heaven's now got all these sinful people in it, and it would take about, I don't know, 20 seconds for heaven to become exactly like Earth. It'd be a messed up place. And we got a problem. There's this problem, God's in heaven, it's perfect, it's beautiful. Here we are down here on planet Earth, made in the very image of God. But because of sin, it separated us from the Father. We can't get into heaven. But the Bible says that God so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he's righteous, he's holy. And so here's the deal. When you receive God's son into your life, when you invite Christ into your life, when you uh, believe in him and surrender your life over to him, the Bible says he comes into your life, which means the righteousness of Christ comes into your life. You now have the righteousness of Jesus. He was perfect, he was holy, he was righteous. And so God now can look down from heaven and there's something between and the father and that is his son and he sees his son in our lives and the righteousness and the holiness of his son trumps all my sin (laughs) and so now God can invite me to his heaven because I'm one of his children at that moment and it's only through a relationship with Jesus that I can ever see heaven now here's the deal There's only one way you get to the Father, and that's through the Son. There's lots of ways people come to Christ. Some of you came to Christ, I don't know, maybe when you were little and you came to a Sunday school class and your third grade Sunday school teacher told you a story and you gave your life to Christ, right? Some of you, when you were younger, your mom or your grandma or your grandpa told you the stories of the faith and you gave your life to Christ as a young person. Some of you, it wasn't until you were an adolescent, right? You went to some camp. And it was at a camp that you heard a speaker and you gave your life to Christ at that moment. For some of you, you know what? Your life was so screwed up, you were in jail. You were in prison, man. And it was in jail or prison that all of a sudden you found the Lord, you see. For some of you, maybe you know, you're on the back end of life. Maybe you're on the 18th hole of life. You're old, and guess what? You gave your life to Christ you know, out on the golf course or something. There's lots of ways that people come to Jesus. Could have been a crusade a Sunday school class, sitting in your bedroom with your mother, sitting at coffee with a buddy, lots of ways to come to Christ. But there's only one way you're gonna get to heaven and that's through Christ, you see. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the scriptures teach over and over and over and over again. Acts chapter 22 says, What are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And it's when you call on the name of the Lord. It's when you believe in the name of the Lord. It's when you give your life over to the name of the Lord. It's at that moment you become a child of God. It's at that moment everything is made right between you and the Father. And you receive the righteousness of Christ. And guess what? You can go to heaven. It's one of the reasons why all the songs are all about Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus. Because why would we come and sing about anybody else? Why would we come and talk about anything else? It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, you see. He's the one. Right now in all of our youth classes and children's classes, man, they're all learning about Jesus right now. And they're learning about Jesus in their own little special way. Romans chapter 10 says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call on the name of Jesus, you recognize that your sin has separated you from God, you recognize that he's holy and you're not, you recognize that you need the righteousness, the holiness of Christ in your life. Call upon him, everything changes. Listen to what uh, Psalms chapter 25 says. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the, the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. And when you look at a passage like that right, right there, it, it, there's some really interesting data that you've got to kind of tease out. And th- There's a right path or a right road you can go down to, to get yourself into heaven which means that there's a wrong path or a wrong road you can go down. And you have have to decide what road you're you're gonna go down. The enemy's pretty good. The last thing the enemy wants is for anybody to go to heaven. So he's gonna make sure that there are all kinds of different roads out there that look pretty good. But there's a right road. There's a right path and there's a wrong road. There's a, 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 a wrong path. And every single person in this room decides which path, man, they're going to take. You know, I, I just got to believe that my good works, you know, will get me into heaven. That, that's a, that, if that's the path you want to take, take it. I, I can't force you to do anything. All I'm going to tell you is what the scriptures say, uh, clearly teach, and the scriptures cl- clearly teach that's the wrong path. All your good works aren't going to get you to heaven the bible says all your you know good works are nothing but filthy rags to god bible says that jesus is the only path to get to heaven in fact listen to the words from jesus himself in matthew chapter 7 he said enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. It's narrow, all right. It's through one person, Jesus Christ. The the way to heaven is very, very narrow. Very narrow. As believers, you know what? We're narrow-minded. Because the one in whom we follow is narrow-minded. It's through him. That's it, that's the right path, that's the right road and all I can do is tell you what the scriptures teach that Jesus alone saves, that's the path, that's the right road. First John chapter five verse 13 says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know Hey, look, if this is what you're banking on, (laughs) you'll never know. You couldn't know. But we as believers can know. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm this perfect guy and I do everything right. I don't always do everything right. I have friends, you know, who hang out with. They get to watch my life. I got, I got a wife who could come up here and give you some testimony. I got some kids. I got three kids, and one of them's here tonight who could come up and give you some testimony. I don't, I don't do it all right. But I'm not, I, 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 I'm not working on this, this thing here. I just gave my life to Christ. Now, because I've given my life to Christ, because I understand how special God his son is, it motivates me to live a righteous life. Man, you came and died for me and made it possible for me to go to heaven. I, look, I'm your slave, what, what do you want? How do you want me to live? And he, he, he gave it to me. He said, here, right here, live like this. No one's gonna do it perfectly. But I know, one of the reasons why John wrote this book and also the Gospel of John is he wanted people, hey, you can know that when this it life's over with, however many years you get, you, you get to go to glory with, with the Father. You can know you're one of his children. You can know you're gonna spend your eternity. That's why he wrote it. He wanted you to know it. He didn't want you to go, well, you know, oh man, if I could have just done one more thing. Now, why is Jesus the key to heaven? Well, this brings me to the, to the second point, okay? And that is Jesus alone is God's son. In 1 John chapter 5, John goes on and he pins these words. He said, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water alone, but by water and blood. And I want you to know, not everybody agrees as to what's being said in these verses right here. Want to have some fun, go home and... Look at some of the great scholars that have you know, come before us and just see what some of their things say. I'm going to tell you what, what I think is being said here. Beloved, it's at the baptism of, uh, of Jesus that everybody was told exactly who he was. And that was Jesus was the, the God's son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And, and Matthew chapter 3 records the very moment when Jesus was baptized. Okay, he was born a little town called Bethlehem. When he was about 30 years old, he's baptized. So when he was 30, he was baptized, and that was kind of the beginning of his earthly ministry. Okay, and it says this in Matthew chapter 3. After his baptism, okay, as Jesus came up out of the water, meaning he went all the way under the water. He comes up out of the water. The heavens were opened. And he saw the, the, that's, uh, well, a lot of people were there, but he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So all the people that would have been on the banks of the Jordan that moment, John the Baptist who was baptized and here's this great moment, Jesus comes up out of the water and they hear an audible voice, that's him, that's my son, that one right there, that's him. God didn't want anybody to miss it, even though he was going to do a bunch of miracles, even though he was going to preach a bunch of great messages and all that kind of stuff. God wanted everybody to know who was around at that moment, that's him. That's my son. And not only is he my son, but man, it just brings me a lot of joy. The moment John baptized Jesus, everybody knew exactly who he was, and that was God's son. He was the Messiah. He was the long-awaited savior that everybody was waiting for. That was an unbelievable moment. Now in Matthew chapter, uh, well in John chapter one it says this, then John, that's John the Baptist, gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize him with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and testa, come down and remain on is the one uh, is he who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it says this. Then John says this. Here it is. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is him. This is the guy. Was that his baptism? At his water baptism the whole world knew at that moment and god made sure it was recorded for us to you know a thousand years later that we'd know at his water baptism who exactly was jesus he was god's son matthew chapter 17 we hear god's voice again it says six days later jesus took peter and the two brothers james and john and led them up to a high mountain to be alone As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, we'll we'll make three shelters as memorials. And one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. That's great advice from God, right? Listen to him. Listen, Christian, listen to him. Listen to him. You're not gonna like everything he tells you. But he's God's son. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell on their face on the ground. And you know, there are always people like this. Here's Peter. He's in there. There's Jesus being transformed. You know, this light. There's Moses and, and, and Elijah. And they're talking. And you'd think that he'd just be going, oh man, this is unbelievable. Not Peter. Hey, guys, hey, listen, I got a thought. I'll make like a tabernacle. I'll make like a little altar for you, Jesus, and I'll make one for you, Moses, and I'll make one for you, uh, 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 Elijah. I'll I'll, I'll do all that. Dude, just keep your mouth shut. This isn't the moment for you to talk, and then you got to like the idea that as he's talking, God kind of interrupts and says, no, no, Peter, that's my son. I think he was kind of saying, Peter, no, you won't be making anything up for Moses, a mere man. You're not gonna be making anything up, you know, for for, for Elijah. That's my son. There's no doubt who Jesus was. He was God's only son, the Messiah, the Savior. And this was revealed at his water baptism, but it was also revealed that, that Jesus was God's only son at the cross when, when, he, when he shed his blood on the cross. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 23. Uh, and this is when he was on the cross. By, by this time, it was noon, okay, he's on the cross. And darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Jesus was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. He hung on the cross for about six hours before he died. Okay, just give me some data. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Okay, God tore this curtain as a way of saying that the barrier between God and man was, was, was no longer there. Then Jesus shouted, Father! I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. Uh, uh, Mark records it this way in, in chapter 15 of his gospel. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Beloved, the the this this Roman officer had obviously seen hundreds of, if not thousands of crucifixions. Okay, this is how the Romans executed, you know, criminals. So this Roman officer had no doubt seen many, many, many crucifixions. But this one was unlike any he had ever seen. It was unique. When it was all done, he said, "This man isn't like all the rest of the guys that I've crucified." i've seen a lot of guys take their breath their last breath on the cross this guy was different this guy really was the son of god now what did this guy see in jesus crucifixion that hadn't been you know that he hadn't seen in the hundreds if not thousands of other criminals that he had crucified well I, i don't know but let me let me walk you through just a couple things here okay I think he was able, obviously, to hear the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Most criminals don't normally say that to people who are killing them. He's hanging on the cross. He looks down at these Roman soldiers that have put the nails in his hands, that have put the nail in his feet, had crammed that, you know, crown of thorns on his head, beaten into a pulp, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, He heard that. He saw that. He had heard Jesus say to the thief on the cross, I assure you, today you'll be in paradise with me. Criminals don't normally say that kind of stuff. So he hears this forgiveness moment, and there he is, and he hears the banter going on between the two guys next to him, and he hears Jesus say, Hey, today I want you to know you're going to be in paradise with me. He heard Jesus say to Mary and John, the disciple, I want you to take care of each other after I'm gone. Usually, when someone's in pain, they're, they're usually not you know, thinking about anybody else, they're just concerned with their own pain. And here he is on the cross, and he's watching this all go down. Hey, forgive everybody. Hey, you're gonna be in paradise with me. Hey, you know, mom, you know, take care of John. John, take care of my my, my mother. I mean, this is an unbelievable scene. This doesn't happen. This, This probably never happened in the history of crucifixions, you see. He heard Jesus say those final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says those final three words, right? It is finished. Then he heard Jesus say, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And when this Roman guard saw all this happen and heard all these things, it was obvious to him that Jesus was special, right? And he was. Because people don't normally die like that. So we clearly see that Jesus was God's son, the second person of the Holy Trinity at his baptism, and we also see it at his death. And the big moment was obviously what? When he walked out of the tomb three days after he died. Ephesians chapter one says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he, that's God, purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us of our sins. Beloved, God made it possible for you to have all your sins forgiven by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to purchase your freedom from sin. And Jesus proved that he was God's son at his baptism and at his death. Now, I want to make sure you understand this, okay? Just want to make sure you got this. Nobody's saved because of the life of Jesus. You're not saved because of the baptism of Jesus. You're not saved because of the teachings of Jesus, as great as they were. You're not saved because of the example of Jesus. You're saved because of the blood of Jesus. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice for your sins. You see, when your hands get dirty, you know you take a bar of soap and it cleans the dirt off of your hands. Sin was going to take more than just a bar of soap or some tide to, to, to get you clean to make you right before God. It was gonna take something unbelievable. And it was gonna take the blood of God's son, that royal, perfect, holy, righteous blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the payment for the penalty of your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the appeasement of his wrath against your, your sin. Romans chapter 3 says, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Look, all throughout the scriptures, you cannot miss the, the narrative that Jesus alone saves because Jesus was God's son, you see? I want you to know, I, I, I wish I fully comprehended it all. I, I don't, I, I just rejoice in how deeply the Father loved me which he proved when he sent his perfect and holy and righteous son to die on a cross for me and my sins. And at the moment I gave my life to Jesus, I became a child of God and someday when I take my last breath here, you know, I know exactly where my next one's gonna be, so to speak, and that's gonna be in heaven with the, with the Lord. As I said earlier, one of the last things Jesus said when he was on the cross was this, in, in Luke chapter 23, he said, then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now I want you to follow this very carefully, and I'm, I'm almost done here, okay? That word entrust it, it is a, a Greek word that means to commit. In fact, some of your Bibles say, I commit my spirit into your hands. And it means to deposit, to deposit something for safekeeping, like a safe deposit box or something like that. and When you own something that's really, really valuable or rare or expensive or whatever, and you don't want it broken, you don't want it stolen or whatever, you take it to the bank and you entrust it to the bank. You put it in a safe deposit box or or whatever where, where they keep it safe. Well, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Father, I'm entrusting my life to you. I'm depositing my life with you. I'm depositing my spirit with you. Father, I'm entrusting you to keep me in your presence forever. And the reason Jesus was saying this was because he knew the Father, and he knew he could trust his spirit with the Father. He knew it. He knew it. So let me ask you a question. And it's one of the most important questions that anybody can maybe ask or certainly be answered. Who have you entrusted your life to? Isn't that a great question? Jesus entrusted his life to the Father. Who have you entrusted your life to? The way you answer that question, who you're trusting in life will determine a lot of things. It'll determine whether you're happy or miserable in life. It'll determine whether you make something out of your life or you just waste your life. And it certainly will, you know, uh, determine where you're going to spend your eternity. Look, who you trust in life matters. Who you, listen to me, who you trust in life matters. So let me ask you. I want you to take a a second. I want you to consider all the options that might be out there. Who are you going to trust? Many of you would say, well, I'll trust Congress. (laughs) A lot of people do. Can't believe how many believers just fund these campaigns and they give up more money for some congressman or congresswoman or whatever than they will give to the church, the greatest cause on the planet. Unbelievable to me. I'm not saying you shouldn't give money to politicians. I'm not saying that. But a lot of people go, wow, man, you know, it's that. How many of you would say the media? I I think I'll place my trust in in, in the media. Probably not many of you in here. How many of you would say Hollywood? Now I I will trust my life, my life with with Hollywood and their values and all that stuff. Maybe some might. How many of you would say, I don't know, the UN? (laughs) I'll put my trust in the United Nations. I mean, after all, they got that big gun in front of it with the knot tight in it. <laughs> Jeez. How about Oprah? You know, I, I've entrusted my life to what Oprah teaches and what Oprah thinks. I mean, she walked on hot fire once, I think. She's gotta know something, I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't know. How many of you would say the culture? I, I, I'm gonna trust my life to, uh, you know, uh, what popular culture things a lot of people do that how many of you would say the majority I I think I'm going to trust what the majority of the people think because the majority of the people can't be wrong can they and the majority of the people think this and so you know what I'll entrust my my life or whatever to, to to that I'm just asking you to to think about it most people would say this they, they put their trust in themselves. This is the one that most people choose. People trust themselves, they trust their gut, they, they trust their heart, they, they follow their heart kind of a thing. And for those of you that would say, you know, I really do. I I, I put my trust in me. Let let me just tell you what the scriptures say. The Bible says this. The great prophet Jeremiah said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Psalms 19 says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? In other words, you know what? There's stuff in here you don't even know about. There's stuff in my heart that I don't even know about. What's my point? My point is that, that, that trusting in yourself or your emotions or your heart is just foolish because your emotions can lie. Your heart lies. They can easily be manipulated by everything you watch on TV to the linguini you ate last night. I could stir up emotions in you right now that you didn't even know you had when you walked in here. And oftentimes I do. And oftentimes people make decisions because they're all emotional. And they give their life to Christ, or at least they say they do. And then you don't see them in a week or two. Because you know what? I just stirred up an emotion in them. I didn't do it on purpose, it just happened. The decision wasn't real, it was just some emotional thing. I know people who get saved every weekend. <laughs> Obviously, something's wrong. Beloved, of- as popular as it is, trusting in yourself or your gut or your heart isn't a very good option. So who should you trust in? Well, let me give you four characteristics of someone you ought to trust your, your life to. Number one, only entrust your life to someone that always has your best interests at heart. Number two, only entrust your life to somebody that knows everything about everything. Only entrust your life to somebody that is absolutely perfect. Only entrust your life to somebody that will never lie to you. Now what that means is when you look at these four things is that your options are kind of limited in fact you only have one option and that is to put your trust in god and his son jesus christ because god always has your best interests at heart he knows everything about everything and that includes you he created you he's absolutely perfect obviously he's god And he will never lie to you. He's the only one that will tell you the truth 100% of the time. Everybody else in your life will lie to you at one time or another, or they'll shade the truth or filter it or make it sound nice or whatever, but God won't. He's the only one who will tell you the truth 100% of the time about your life. You see, it's lies that keep you in bondage, lies about yourselves, lies about others, lies about the world, lies about how life really is, lies about reality. They keep you in bondage, but it's a truth that sets you free. God tells you the truth about your life. You're sinful. That's the message of the Bible, you're sinful. Everybody's sinful. The message of the Bible is the truth is everybody's evil. Some are just more evil than others. The message of the scriptures isn't that everybody's good and some are just better than others. No. We're all evil. Some are just more evil than others. God's going to tell you the truth. And a lot of people don't like that truth. I don't want to hear that. God tells you the truth about your life. Your sin broke the relationship between you and him. God tells you the truth about, uh, you know, uh, about your life. Your your, your sin came with a consequence, eternal separation from God. God God tells you the the truth. He had no way to, to fix the consequences of your sin. God's the one who comes along and says, listen, I created you in my image, but sin messed everything up. And God made sure that you were here tonight, that you'd hear the truth. Because he loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to come and die for you. See? That everything could be made right again between you and God. And I wanna give you a second just maybe to, for some of you maybe for the first time, to put your trust, entrust your life, entrust your, your eternal future And this God who loves you deeply. So just close your eyes for just a second. I'm a legion of prayer and then we'll be done and we'll go out to on the patio, okay? If you're here and you're going, man, you know what? I've never entrusted my life to God. In fact, I came in here tonight and I didn't even believe in God. <laughs> I came in here tonight thinking church and Christianity and whatever, it was just a joke, it was just stupid. Wow, something happened to me. My eyes were open, and I think I understand this thing. I want to give those of you who, who God has opened your eyes to the truth. You've never invited Christ into your life. You've never believed in Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Christ to do that right now. Just say, Jesus, I get it, and I believe, and I accept you into my life right now. I receive you into my life right now. I am entrusting my life to you right now. Cleanse me of my sin, Jesus. I wanna spend my eternity with you forever. Now if you're here and and you prayed that. One of the cool things that I like doing is seeing who maybe God was working in their life. So while everybody's eyes are closed, whatever, if you prayed that, look up at me or raise your hand or, or, or whatever. Will you do that? Is any, anybody? Just make sure I see him over here right now. Yeah, yeah, two of you right here, way right in the back. Yeah, very cool. Somebody in here, middle section, up in the mezzanine, just make sure I see you. What over here? Anybody? Yeah, I see you, sir. They're right here in the front, Cool. Okay, look up. look up here real quick. And here's the deal. Here's how I like to end these kinds of things. Is that if that decision was genuine, if you really got it and tonight you entrusted your life, your eternal future uh, into the hands of, of, of Jesus, if you did that, hey, five minutes. I want you to get up here in just a minute. We're going to end and we're going to go out. The coffee bar will be open and Cafe Astoria and the, we'll have music out there. It's really great, really great. But five minutes, go into the altar room. And see one of our pastors, see one of our elders and say, hey, I don't know, man, I prayed tonight. I don't really know what it all means, but here I am. And, and what they do is they give those cards to me. And then I get to rejoice about the decision you made. I'll send you an email and just talk with you, give you some steps that you can take to deepen this relationship that you started tonight. But if you don't have five minutes, then you know what? Get, you know what I probably did? I just stirred up the emotion in you. And it really wasn't didn't mean anything, but you got pumped because I got all excited and you got excited and you thinking heaven hell yeah hell I don't don't, want. But I don't got five minutes. I gotta I gotta get to Chevy's man. Hey, you're welcome. You can come back here anytime. You but it probably didn't mean much. You, You just didn't understand it. But if it really was something genuine, go, go in there. Let, let, let us rejoice here. They'll give you a Bible. Maybe you're here and you want some prayer. Go into that room. That, that room is always there. God's still working. Even though I'm going to pray, God's still work. And you can go in there and have them pray for your marriage, your business, your parents, your kids, whatever it is. That's what we're there for. And then come on out. And the music's going to be fantastic. Okay, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up father thanks lord for tonight and man i just enjoyed the music thank you for all these musicians and bluegrass i d- i dug it lord it was great thank you lord for just praying for other churches thank you for the interns again i love them they're just great people and thank you for your word god you loved us so much you told us how we could be saved you, you, jesus 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 thank you for those that made decisions Give us a great time as we go out and fellowship out on the patio, Lord. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen.